things along the way uh, that I wanted us to spend some time tonight looking at, at something that's kind of a unique chapter in, in the Gospels of talking about Jesus. Uh, in chapter 1, we're going to see Jesus referred to in a number of ways that are going to tell us a lot about his nature. And, and these are things that are going to be developed as we progress through the gospel. Um, it's almost as if we get to understand these things on the front end, but the disciples of Jesus were learning these things as it unfolds to them. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? That, and so, so as we see these things, not only can they kind of open our eyes to it, but we can join in the process of other people coming to this moment of saying, oh, I see, that's who you are. That's, that's who you are in this world. And it will help us, I think, as we progress through the Gospel of John. Now, I want to share with us tonight... Ten different titles that we see for the name of Jesus. And so if you want to get your Bible out, um, you know, some, some sermons are a little bit easier to kind of follow along through a text. This is going to be one of those, and even to mark those things. And one of my challenges for you over the next week or so is if you're looking for something to help you in your daily devotions or in your personal Bible study, just spend some time each day looking for information about about these different titles. Um, they're all fairly simple. You've heard them all before, many of which we've, we've already spent a great deal of time over the last couple of weeks even discussing the, the, the background behind. So we won't rehash all that tonight, just simply to point them out. But it would be a good way, a good way for us to be impressed with exactly who Jesus is so with that in mind, let's just dive right in. The very first thing that we see Jesus referred to is the Word, right? It's how he begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this attachment that we have of Jesus the Nazarene being the embodiment of the gospel he is the embodiment of the good news. And it will be his message, the message about him, message from him, that all must not only hear, but must also obey. It is this word by which mankind can and must be saved. And so the, the depth of what we see just in that first verse, and if you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, well, Go back and listen to the sermon from a couple Sundays ago where we talked about the Word. But here in this, here in this, same, in this same verse, we have a second, a second name given to God. Or excuse me, I gave it away. A second name given to Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To understand that when we are talking about Jesus... We are talking about God. This is the reason. This is the reason that Jesus was crucified. Because He claimed to be deity. Because He claimed to be the great I Am. 
And what we're going to see, this is going to come up multiple times. So, so if, this is, if this is a beat that, that you're not used to, well, get ready for it because John beats it over and over again. I want to make the point that Jesus is saying, I'm not just a good man. I am God in the flesh. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul writes, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So one of these amazing things that changes the way that we read the gospel is to understand that we're talking about the Creator coming and walking among His creation. We see God, the, the great I Am, dying for His own creation. We've spent time talking about all of these. Thirdly, He's called the light. And there was, verse 9, and that was the true light. In contrast, he's saying John is not the light, right? But Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. It's one of these beautiful pictures that's going to be continued throughout the Gospel of John and all, really all throughout the New Testament. Jesus said in John 3 and verse 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is the light. And so even as we talk today about being the light of the world, we are the light in that we are reflecting the light of Jesus. He is the one who shows us, who shows us truth and shows us the way the way home. Fourthly, fourthly, in verse 17, we read about Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It's not a curse word. It is a title. Jesus the Christ Literally to say he is the anointed one. The one that has, and not just anointed for no reason, but the one who has been anointed to save. So sometimes we will talk about Jesus the Christ. Um, in, in Hebrew, you understand that we're talking about the Messiah. It's actually going to be one of them that we're going to talk about in a minute. But in the Old Testament, we talk quite often about the Messiah, the one who has been anointed to come, and we're looking for the Messiah who is to come. Well, the only difference between Messiah and Christ is that Messiah is based on Hebrew and Christ is, is based on Greek. Okay? So, so that's, that's the difference. It's, 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 the, it's the same word. It's the same, really the same sort of title. This is the one that they've been looking for that God would send to save them and lead them. You remember in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, then when, when Jesus says, who, who do men say that I am? And then finally, well, who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter said? Peter said there in Matthew 16 and verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this is who's being identified. This is the Word that's become flesh, the light that has shone into the world. He is the Christ. 
which is a fulfillment of so much of the Old Testament prophecy. And really, all of these titles are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. It's why these things are here. Because, because to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the student of the Old Testament, they're going to be making these connections. Oh, this is what we've been looking for. Finally, we look at, not finally, we're, we're not getting off that quick. Halfway is why I get 10 points. You're like, how long is he going to go? But I'm going quickly, aren't I? But, but, but fifthly, fifthly, you see John coming onto the scene, and his, his, designation, his designation for Jesus is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that connection that he has for being the perfect sacrifice who has come for the express purpose of taking away our sin. And the text that we read from the book of Revelation this morning in Revelation chapter 5 of of that lamb who is worthy and the hopelessness that we have without him, but the hope that we have with him. I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in in, in really, I I know in all of Revelation because most of Revelation really confuses me, but this is this beautiful passage, but maybe even in the whole New Testament. But to understand that's who Jesus is. For all that he came to do, it centers around the taking away of the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God. When people start to come to Jesus in John 1 and verse 38, they refer to him as rabbi. They said to him, rabbi, which is, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? And, and so we, this, is, this is terminology that we don't, we, we don't so much use uh, as, as, as we see in, in, the, in the New Testament and maybe even in certain other fields, and maybe we ought to use term, uh, I can't talk. Maybe we ought to use terminology like this more often, but to call someone rabbi, it, it means that you are acknowledging not only that they have authority, but that they have something to teach you, that they are your superior. Of course, you're the rabbi. I'm not. So you teach me. And so many times people would give this, this title to Jesus, in, in this, and sometimes it was superficial. I think of a few contexts like that. But, but ultimately to say, I want you to teach me. I want you to teach me something. Isn't that a great way to approach Jesus? That's that, that's that heart that we talked about this morning that's without deceit or, or, or without guile. You're, you're the rabbi. You're the teacher. I'm just the student. And so many times, so many times as students, uh, we, we don't want to listen. Any teachers ever have students that didn't want to listen? Anybody ever have a student like that? Okay, yeah, hope. You got, I mean, you're teaching kindergarten, right? You got, <laughs> oh, you're doing middle school too, so maybe a whole classroom. Yeah, so, so is, it, is it hard to teach kids like that? Yeah, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to teach someone who doesn't want to learn something. But have you ever had a student that just said, you know what, I want you to teach me. Wow, you know something that I, do, I obviously don't know, so would, would you please teach me? I, I can remember um, um, my, my wife going uh, and spending the day with my grandma because my grandma makes the very best cornbread in the whole world, okay? And I think it has something to do with a pan that's about 90 years old that 
One day it'll sneak into my house. Not yet, but one day it will. My mom's watching. I'm sorry. They, uh, but she was going and saying, okay, you obviously know how to make this and I don't. Teach me. When they went to Jesus and you call him rabbi, teach me. Help me to understand these things because I am here to be taught. And that's how we ought to come to Jesus. You can read on there in chapter 1 all the way down to verse 41 when, uh, when, <clears throat> when we have, sorry, I can't, <coughs> excuse me, when, when Andrew comes to find his brother, he comes to find Peter, and he, he says to him in verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Remember, Messiah, Hebrew, Christ, Greek. It's, it's the same thing, but I'm counting it on our list. Because anytime you see the word Messiah, it, it has, to, at least in my way of thinking, it has this, this Old Testament connotation of the hope of the Jewish people. That, that, that the Jews would have looked for the Messiah in, in a way that, that none others would. As a matter of fact, it's, part, it's actually part of what gave them a little bit of struggle about the nature of the Messiah, that they had this idea of the restoration of their very earthly kingdom. But who was going to do that? Who was going, it was going to be the Messiah, right? And so it's like the, the, the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel, all the way to, to Genesis chapter 12. So the hope of every Jew is the Messiah. That's what he's saying to Peter, who is a faithful Jew, we have found the Messiah. And this was a big part of their life. It was a part of their parents' life and their grandparents' life and their great-grandparents' life and their great-great-grandparents' life. It was a part of being a Jew. You're looking for the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. The fulfillment of all of these things. You know, when Jesus uh, preaches, uh, speaks during the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the misconceptions that he had is that People would say, you, you don't care about the law. The realists said that about Paul, right? You, you've, you, you've come to, to destroy these things. Jesus would say, no, I haven't come to destroy the law. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, there's not even a, a jot or a tittle, right? Not even a punctuation mark of the law is going to pass away. I came to fulfill the law. Now, if you want to really understand the nature of Jesus, you need to understand what that means. You need to understand. You go and read, go and read passages like Romans, <clears throat> like Romans chapter nine, and find out about what it means when we talk about Jesus fulfilling the law. They stumbled over him, but he did not come to to neglect the law. He came to fulfill the law. He was the Messiah. And then next in verse forty nine. We see this title, <coughs> the Son of God. When, when Nathan or when Nathaniel is so impressed, Jesus knew something about him that no one should be able to know, right? He, he, he obviously impressed him with his, with his supernatural knowledge. And Nathaniel makes this great, great confession, and he says to him, Rabbi, there it is again, Right? By the way, just a moment ago, Nathaniel had been kind of shortchanging Jesus, right? Why, why should I listen to you? You came from Nazareth. You know, how, how do you know me? Verse 48. 
Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. And this is an interesting, I won't spend a great deal of time here, but this is something for you to spend some, some time in your own devotion and your own study uh, of trying to understand how this idea of the Son of God is going to grow and to be very multifaceted. Okay? So sometimes being the Son of God just means someone that belongs to God. Um, it doesn't have to take on the, 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 the whole the concept of um, being the, the divine one or the deity. Um, it's interesting, you, you know, there's lots of debates about what exactly did Nathaniel understand when he said, you are the son of God. I don't know that I know the answer to that. Uh, I know that this is multifaceted. I know that this grows. I know that Jesus helps them to understand this uh, in, in a deeper way. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Thomas, you'll be teaching about this here in, in just, just a few weeks. But this is coming towards the end of David's life. And God makes some promises to David. And beginning with about, with about verse 12 of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, the Lord says to David, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. For I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. So, so on the one hand, what are we talking about here? Well, who's the son of David? Solomon, right? I mean, he's talking in many ways about Solomon, and Solomon is going to build, is going to build this house. But, but he also says that his throne is going to be established forever. So this is not just some, some next in the line of succession. And so these things become mingled, the, the, the thought processes, right? You know that it's not just talking about Jesus. It's not just talking about Jesus because he says there in verse 14, and when he commits iniquity, uh, well, that's not Jesus. That's not, he's not a sinful person, right? But yet he will be a son to me. Flash forward to the New Testament. Um, to a scene, you would remember this, in Luke chapter 1, uh, when, when the angel uh, appears to Mary and he's telling her about this child that, that's going to be conceived. Listen to, what, <coughs> listen to what he says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. He will, this is Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And so you see, sometimes these things are kind of intermingled when you go, when you go through the text. Now, don't, don't just think that people were trying to reapportion re um, Old Testament prophecy here and pull that into Jesus. There was, there was some, a great deal understood about 
the Son of God in, in, in a divine sense coming. Maybe the most classic verse in the Old Testament um, is Isaiah chapter 9, right? A lot of times around Christmas time, uh, you, will see, you, you will see this verse being, being brought about. <coughs> I, think, I think maybe Charlie Brown uh, quoted this verse in his special, but Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6, verses six and 7. For unto us <coughs> a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, and to order it and establish it with justice, with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, so when Nathaniel makes this claim, that's what he's referring to. You're the Son of God. You're, it's, it's almost like he's saying you're the Messiah, right? But all, these things all overlap. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that's been prophesied. Not only are you the son of God, title number nine, he says you are the king of Israel. And so once again, it's a true statement, but this is going to create a, a great deal of conflict in, in, the life of, in the life of Jesus as this becomes clearer and clearer who he's claiming to be. Uh, passages like John chapter 19 and verse 12. Uh, when, when, excuse me, when Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but the people didn't want him to, and they cried out, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, once again, they're twisting reality, but, but they're, trying, they're feeding off this idea Oh, you're the king, the king of the Jews. It'll even be posted above Jesus at his, at his crucifixion, right? So these, and, and the more that these things become understood of just exactly who do you say you are? Well, one, the more powerful they become, but two, the more dangerous they become for Jesus himself. And so in allowing us to see these things, Jesus is allowing himself to actually fulfill his purpose here. And then finally, finally we have Jesus' favorite designation for himself, the Son of Man. Jesus said, said to Nathanael there in John 1 and verse, in verse 51, it's a long chapter. He said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, when you read that, when you read that, where does your mind immediately go back to? Jacob's ladder. You remember in the Old Testament, and Jacob is taking a nap on this rock, and he has this dream, and the angels are ascending and descending, and and I must, I must spend our entire time tonight just talking about Jacob's ladder and what we're seeing and what we're seeing here. But and it's a really, we will come back to talk about the house of God and how that is 
takes place in the form of Jesus even today. But, but, but this, is, this is what he's saying. The angels of God are ascending and descending. How? The Son of Man. It doesn't say the Son of Man is ascending and descending. It says that they, he, he becomes the vehicle. He becomes the, the conduit by which, by which one goes to heaven or comes from heaven. One, one person wrote that through Jesus, this is where God and man meet. That's part of what he's trying to say. Jesus, Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man. Now, we, we don't call him the Son of Man very much, but he called himself the Son of Man a lot. And th- there's some understanding that he's just referring to his own humanity. Um, that sometimes we could, we, could, we could do a compare or contrast between someone being a, uh, the Son of Man or the Son of God. Okay? And the Son of Man would talk about his humanity that he was 100% man, or the Son of God would, would talk about his divinity, right? Be, being, being the Son of God. And it definitely does mean that. As a matter of fact, um, in the prophets, the prophets over and over would use the same terminology. Um, I think that the prophet Ezekiel, over 90 times uh, in, his, in, his, in his prophetic book, Brian, you correct me if I'm wrong about that, you're a, you're a major prophets guy, but I think over 90 times, refers to himself as the son of man. He's not claiming to be divine, okay? Far from it. He's claiming to be a man. But it means more than that. It means more than that in the form of Jesus. That when Jesus talks about being the son of man, he's actually referring to his own deity. Passages Passages like Daniel chapter 7. There in, in, in Daniel chapter 7, the, which is a book full of prophetic visions, full of prophetic prophecies. Prophetic prophecies? Can I, I think I can say that. I said it. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. The, the prophet says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold... One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, that's God. And they brought Him near before Him. And then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus says, that's me. That's who I am. There are all these debates in the world today about who is Jesus. I I read um, just this last week, someone was asking the question, did Jesus ever say anything where he overtly claimed to be the Son of God, or he claimed to be God in the flesh. And I just I thought, man, have you read the Gospels? It, it's, it is only from a very superficial reading that you miss that point. Because it's a point 
That's going to be made over and over and over again. And what we're going to see is all of these concepts are going to be expounded upon in our journey through the Gospel of John. All of these ideas are going to be expounded upon in the disciples' journey through the life of Jesus. But when they get it, when they get it, it changes them to understand that they're not just serving an idea. They're not just part of a a cool club. They're not just doing something to do something. I think that sometimes, sometimes that can happen even in the church. we, We talk about people not truly being convicted or converted and and I hope you understand what, what I'm talking about at the core of that at the core of that I wonder if it is a failure to understand who it is that we are really serving because when you come and you are overwhelmed by who we're serving isn't that why he lays all this groundwork isn't that why I mean this chapter one has been long and lengthy and somewhat repetitive but to be overwhelmed in every shape, form, or fashion that I have word and terminology that I can muster, I'm trying to tell you about who Jesus is. And once you know who He is, you will follow Him anywhere. So He says, follow me today. Friends, you follow Him. Follow Him by being born again. Follow Him through the repentance of your sin. You can even take your burdens, even those burdens, and cast them upon him because he is able and he is worthy. And he calls you home. You come follow him tonight as we stand and as we sing.